You probably noticed this huge horse trough in the middle of the room. Uh, if you're just visiting with us today, you say, that's kind of odd. There's a big horse trough in the middle of the room. But you've come to the South Suburban Vineyard on Baptism Sunday. This is Baptism Sunday, everybody. It's a big and important Sunday because this is an opportunity for those who have made commitments to follow Jesus or those who have recently made commitments to re-follow Jesus or to re-surrender their life to Jesus to make the next important step, and that's to go public with their faith and to participate in baptism. And some of, we, some of you have pre-registered to be uh, baptized today, but others of you might walk in today and say, dang, that was today? I wanted to be baptized. Were well, you in luck because we always bring extra clothes and always bring extra tiles. And if you feel moved to surrender your life uh, to Jesus today and to be baptized, we always uh, want to make room for those of you who want to do that. And so uh, Ramon Mayo, is Ramon in the room? Ramon right here. If you are desiring to be baptized today and you did not sign up for baptism, uh, Ramon just has some questions for you, and so you'll see him after the message. And if you want to be baptized, and if you can get past Ramon, we'll dunk you. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Well, let me get to the message, because on today, Baptism Sunday, I think is a fitting Sunday to continue a teaching series that we've simply been calling Go Tell It, A Crash Course in Evangelism. Go Tell It, A Crash Course in Evangelism. And this is a four-week series on evangelism. And as we've been saying the last couple of weeks, evangelism is a medium-sized Christian word that simply means the spreading of the Christian gospel, the Christian faith, by public preaching or personal witness. And when we say gospel, we mean the good news about Jesus Christ. Evangelism is how we've all come to learn about the Christian faith. You and I are in church of all places on Sunday morning, probably because you heard somebody talk about Jesus, right? Somebody engaged you about the person and work of Jesus. Somebody said something to you or somebody posted something that piqued your interest and drew you closer to a life of faith. And maybe you are a Christian and you've been a Christian for a while. You are here because somebody took evangelism seriously. Maybe you're not walking with Jesus. Maybe you're just peeking into the window of faith, kicking the tires of faith as it were. Even still, you are here because of something you heard or something you saw, and that, friends, in some way or the other, is the work of evangelism. That is to say that the work of evangelism is active work. There's nothing passive about it, right? People don't stumble into faith, right? People don't stumble toward evangelism haphazardly. It's an active, willful process that is deeply meaningful. Well, here's what else I know. Most of us struggle to share the gospel with somebody else. Isn't that true? If you're feeling a little bit ashamed about it, just look to the person next to you, the person right, they probably struggle with it too. If you look toward me, I get paid to do this, and sometimes I struggle to do it, and so we're all in good company. But the goal of this series is for that we would have the confidence of Paul when he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not, what? I'm not ashamed of this good news, this gospel about Christ, because it is the power of God at work saving all that believes. And you really got to see this as not an optional thing. If you're into that sort of thing, if you're an extrovert, like if you're really outgoing, then you have the gift of evangelism. No, 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 no. For those of us who take faith seriously, 
For those of us who take Jesus seriously, for those of us who see the gospel for what it is, the power of God at work, we will lean toward this and not away from it. And we began this series a couple of weeks ago by talking about square one, which is the gospel, the good news. We call it around here the best news ever because it is good news for everybody. It's the good news about how God makes sinners like you and me right with God through Christ such that anybody who chooses to put their faith in Christ, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter what their record, they can come to faith and have eternal life. Shannon continued the message last week by giving us some practical steps. Among them, follow Jesus ourselves before we can tell anybody else about it. Facilitate encounters so that people might meet Jesus. And of course, tell your Jesus story. Uh, many of us were blessed by that message last week. And today I want to lean on the whole tell your story aspect of evangelism. Because evangelism is all about Christian witness. And Christian witness is less about, let me tell you about something I read. Christian witness is less about, let me tell you what I was told. Christian witness is even less about, let me tell you what I was told to say to you. <laughs> Evangelism centers itself on our Christian witness, our testimony, which means evangelism centers itself on, let me tell you what I saw when I experienced Jesus. Let me tell you what I felt when I encountered the Savior. Let me tell you what I experienced. Let me tell you what I learned when I encountered Jesus. And therefore, let me tell you what I know because I've encountered Jesus for myself. You see the difference? Evangelism is personal. That is also to say that there will likely be loads of things about the Christian faith that you simply don't know or you don't know yet. And let me tell you that that's okay. Let me say it again. There will be loads of things about the Christian faith and about the spiritual life about Christian doctrine and Christian belief that you simply don't know or you don't know yet. And I hope you're leaning into a continuing education, but that is okay. And it's not a prerequisite to know everything in order to share your faith. Can I get a witness? You're sitting now in what used to be the gym of this community center that we bought. And when we first started renting this place, we thought, why don't we open this up for open gym? Maybe a few guys would come by and play some basketball. Well, we opened it up. We didn't advertise at all. And every week, 30 or 40 guys at least on a light week would show up here to play basketball because there's no other place that let you come in for free. And these guys would come in. And, of course, I'd let them play basketball for an hour. And then I'd sit them all down. And I'd share. I'd open the scriptures. I talk to them about Jesus and the gospel and the spiritual life, and that's the only way they can get another hour of basketball is to listen to me. I had a very captive audience. And a few of those guys would trickle in on Sunday. One such guy was a guy named Sam. Some of you remember Sam, and Sam used to be a drummer. And uh, I, read, I caught up with Sam, and we had lunch uh, a couple years ago, and Sam sat down, he said, man, I really appreciate y'all, man. He said, Gino, I talk about you everywhere, man. Now I'm intrigued. Now I want to know, what, what are you telling everybody about me? He said, man, I remember after basketball one time, I asked you some really heavy questions that I was wrestling with about the scriptures. And I thought, what is interesting? I can't, I, can't, I don't remember him asking me these questions. What nuggets of truth 
that I give this, one, this young man? How did I straighten him out and put him on the right path? I said, well, what did I say to you? He said, I asked my questions. And you said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, Sam, is that what you're telling everybody about me, that, you, that I don't know anything? But it cemented my belief uh, that I don't have to know everything. I was reminded that day that I didn't lose Sam's respect because I didn't know something. In fact, the opposite was true, that I didn't know something and I said so. Which lets me know and I let you know today that you don't have to know everything. You don't even have to know most things about the Christian faith to do the work of evangelism. We do a summer small group here on Tuesday nights and as it follows, you know, we're discussing the message that we have the previous Sunday. And since we're talking about the messages from the previous Sunday, I asked the group two weeks ago, what's one of the biggest hurdles for you sharing your faith? And then not everybody had the same answer, but most of us said some version of this. What if I get a question I can't answer? What if they press me on something that I don't know? What if I look stupid or worse? What if I make God look stupid because I'm stumbling around and I don't know something that I'm supposed to know? And what it revealed to me or what it reminded me of is that for most of us, for loads of us, the hurdle that we're facing and sharing our faith is not that we don't believe, not that we're indifferent. We just don't feel qualified. We don't feel like we know enough. We don't get, want to get that question from the angry skeptic or the sincere agnostic or that one weird uncle at Thanksgiving that wants to make you look bad about what you believe. And what this does is it forces us to make private that which should be the most public aspect of our life, and that is our Christian faith. It forces us to go underground so that we don't have to share our faith. But what if, when it came to evangelism, we chose to major on what we know best, and that is our story? That doesn't mean that growing in the knowledge of Christian doctrine, having a deeper understanding of Jesus, who Jesus is, and the Christian faith, that it doesn't matter. In fact, it's really important, but I think that what we're called to major on is our Jesus story. And that's what I fo want to focus on this morning in a message that I'm simply calling, I once was blind. I once was blind. Meet me this morning in your Bibles in John chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1, John chapter 9. There are Bibles on the edges of your row. Feel free to interact with the scriptures through those paper Bibles. We won't be offended at all if you're in new school and you engage with the text on your mobile devices. Uh, we'll also be projecting the uh, scriptures up on the screens today. John chapter 9, I'm going to start at verse 1. And while you find that this morning, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your story. We thank you, Lord, for how your story intersects with our story and how you called us to do lot, uh, loads of kingdom good by sharing how our story has intersected with yours. Father, may we lean in today as you speak to us. 
Uh, may we be encouraged today. May we be challenged. May we be changed. May we be moved toward your ideal. Father, would you make our hearts soft landing spaces for your truth? Put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Father, move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. John chapter 9. I'm going to start at verse 1. It's a little bit of a longer passage. I'm not apologizing. I'm just telling you. John chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 1. John chapter 9, excuse me. I'm starting at verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God can be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, then he spit on the ground. Then he spit on the ground, (laughs) made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And Siloam sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. He was healed. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others says, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. I don't know. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They really want to get to the bottom of this. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. I know this, I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Don't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He's getting a little feisty with this. Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? 
We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You are born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. This is the word of the Lord. This is an interesting story, right? An interesting angle on the whole evangelism conversation. And hopefully this story today will help us get unstuck and expel this false notion that we have to know everything before we can tell others about Jesus, that we have to know everything before we can tell our story. This story opens with Jesus and his disciples having a, a run-in with a blind beggar. And we learn from this text very early that this guy just wasn't born, he just wasn't blind, he was born blind. And so the disciples, curious about this, they asked Jesus a question about how this man came to be blind or why he had come to become blind. And they used lots of assumptive language as they asked Jesus this question. They don't simply say, Jesus, why was this man born blind? They give Jesus two options. Lord, we know this man is blind. We know somebody sinned in order to make him blind. Was it his sin or the sins of his parents? These were their two options. And Jesus says to them plainly in verse 3, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. It wasn't his parents' sins or his sins. This happened. He was born blind and remain blind so that at this very moment, the power of God could be seen in him. What a powerful statement. Mark those words because those words will be the thread that runs through our time together this morning. According to Jesus, this man was born blind not because of his sin or somebody else's sin, but so that at this very moment, the power of God can be seen and shown in and through him. Let that sit in the room for just a second. I don't know about you, but that gives me plenty to think about. I think we're going to have a good conversation this Tuesday at small group. We might spend the whole time on this alone. But what's true about how the, the disciples posed this question is that in the ancient world, it was believed that misfortune was the result of falling out of favor with God or any other deity. And so some people believe that it would be obvious to the casual observer who was favored by God because they would look blessed. They would be whole and healthy, money falling out of their pockets. They can barely close the cupboards because it's so full of resource. And they also believe that the opposite was true, that it would be obvious to tell who had fallen out of favor with God because they would just be lurching along, sores all over their bodies. It would be obvious because they would have fallen into misfortune. And Jesus flips that thinking on his head. This man was born blind. He's remained blind so that at this moment, the power of God could be on display for him, and not just for him, but for others I gotta tell you, I don't even know if I'm okay with that. This poor guy's gotta be blind all this time just so the Lord can just have an evangelistic moment? That don't really sit right with me. 
But it doesn't need to because it's the word of the Lord. And it sets the stage for our time together as we talk more about evangelism. I see at least four really important things in this text that I want to tease out as we jog along today. The first is that this starts with an encounter with Jesus. It starts with an encounter with Jesus, which is a good place to start, practically speaking, because it's really where all evangelism starts, and that is with an encounter with Jesus, a meaningful encounter with Jesus. And this is really interesting, too, because they encounter what appears to be this random blind man. He's minding his own business, but he's about to have this life-changing encounter with Jesus. They spot this man, and verse 6 tells us what happens. Then Jesus, out of nowhere, spits on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud all over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Listen, I don't think we should move too quickly past these verses. Because here we see some of the strangeness of Jesus that we can't really look away from. Imagine being this guy. You can't see anything. And we can't even be sure that Jesus asked for permission or engaged this man in conversation in any way. And we're trained to pray around here. Listen, before you even lay hands on somebody, we say, hey, is it all right if I put my hand on your shoulder? That's what we've been trained to do. Jesus doesn't say anything. This man is minding his business. And all of a sudden, he hears... I'm not trying to take any liberties from the text. If he had enough to make some mud. <laughs> he hears this and he goes, what's happening? And then he hears. <laughs> and then he hears the, you know, the mud being made and he feels something warm and wet on his eyes. I don't want to get past this. This is strange, is it not? It's holy, divine, but it's absolutely gross. Nonetheless, the man goes along with it. This is a bona fide miracle. This is a healing. This is a sign. This is a wonder. This is a life-changing event, which would amount to, to, to a complete reversal of fortune for this blind man. This is the first century. There's no social services. There are no shelters. There's no money for those who, 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 who are destitute in this way. His whole life he would have been dependent on the generosity of others. Likely would have been taken advantage of. Likely would have spent many nights out in the cold. This is a complete reversal of fortune. And yet, this encounter with Jesus is not about the healing of, its, of his eyes. You study the work and the ministry of Jesus, the healings, the wonders, the signs. It's never about the sign itself. It's never about the legs being healed. It's never about the eyes being healed. It's never about the blood drying up. It is a demonstration of kingdom power. And what Jesus is saying to everybody he heals is, my man, what I did for your eyes, I want to do for your whole life. My brother, what I did for your lame legs, don't, don't rejoice yet because that's not the real miracle. What I did for your eyes, Mr. Blind Man, I want to do for your whole 
situation. I'm after your soul. And so this all starts with an encounter with Jesus. Because these encounters are consequential, not just for that person, but for everyone they know and everyone they'll potentially meet. And as we see in this story, this encounter with Jesus produces a noticeable difference. Huh? Our encounters with Jesus should produce a noticeable difference. A noticeable difference. When you have a meaningful encounter with Jesus, people will notice. At least they should notice. And if you're wondering, have I had a meaningful encounter with Jesus, you might also ask yourself, has anyone noticed? At least you invite your coworker of 12 years to church and they ask you the dreaded question, you go to church? <laughs> Has anybody noticed that you've had an encounter with Jesus? The people who knew you before should maybe notice that you've had a life-altering, trajectory-altering encounter with the Savior? To put it a different way, when you leave home blind and you come back seeing, reasonable people might notice it. Verse 8, his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. They weren't clear on all the details. They were curious and interested, but minimally, they noticed. They noticed. That is to say that the kind of work that God can, will, and wants to do in a life can typically be seen and noticed, particularly by the folks who know you best. Has anybody noticed that you've been walking with Jesus. And we can expand if we want to beyond the people who knew you because the world is so messed up and the eyes of the average person are so turned inward that if you show up as a real deal Christian, folks are going to notice. What I would also say is it's probably true that most people in this world have not met and do not personally know a real deal Christian. Think about that for just three and a half seconds. They know plenty of people who go to church. They know plenty of good people. But I think it might be true that most of the people that walk this earth have not encountered, do not regularly rub shoulders with somebody who has surrendered their life. Yes, they're a work in process. Yes, they're probably still a mess, but somebody who is on a trajectory toward Jesus, most people probably haven't met one. Which means that if you show up as one, you might stand out as a light in the darkness, as salt amongst that which is bland as hope and help when everybody else has turned inward, has anybody noticed you? And honestly, 
when people experience you after an encounter with Jesus, it, it will land differently on people. Some will celebrate it. Some will hate it. Some will be curious up close, and some will be curious at a distance. Nonetheless, people will notice. Because when things start to straighten up in your life, it'll get people's attention. We'll begin to be those peculiar people that the scripture talks about, light and salt. And as a result, the third thing I see in this text is there will be questions. There will be questions. There will be questions. And this is probably one of the best parts. This is probably one of the coolest aspects of having an encounter with Jesus, the work of evangelism, is that people, when you show up different, they will have questions. Questions that they might ask you or questions that they might ask others about you when you're not around. There will be questions. I like this because if I stop some random person and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? I bring it up at the Thanksgiving dinner table, which is an interesting place to bring up faith or politics. They might listen. They might get angry. They might walk away. They might have an attitude. But when they ask you, when they inquire, they got to listen. And so the best thing you can do is show up different noticeably different, noticeably on a different trajectory because people will ask questions. And these questions might come at you from different angles. Interestingly enough, I count about 13 different questions in this text alone. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? That's lifted from this text. Who healed you? What happened? Where is Jesus now? The Pharisees asked the man all about it. But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? What's your opinion about this man who healed you? I'm just halfway through. Is this your son? They asked his mama questions. Was he born blind? If so, how can he see now? But what did he do? How did he do it? What shirt was he wearing? Did he have on a hat? There were questions. And even my six-year-old Zeke, who is the master of asking questions, will look at this and go, that's a lot of questions. That's a bit much. And I wonder if you get any questions. I wonder when you leave the break room, do people speak in hushed tones and say, what happened to Sheila? What happened to Rick? Rick used to go out with us on Friday nights, pocket full of singles, and we would turn all the way up. He don't want to go no more. What about Debbie? Debbie, her? Not our Debbie, not you, Debbie. <laughs> she could cuss like a sailor, but all of a sudden, is anybody asking any questions about you? or to you, because when you show up different, there will be what? There will be questions. And that's why I love this guy. That's why I like this guy, because he is a case study on what to do when you, when you don't know a whole lot to say. 
This brother right here gets rid of all of our excuses for not telling somebody about Jesus. Because when he got questions, he simply told them what he knew. He simply told them what he knew. This also means that he was honest with them about what he didn't know. At least twice he says, I don't know. But he spoke clearly and confidently about his experience with Jesus. Verse 10, they asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. He didn't launch into a discourse about the incarnate deity. He didn't rail right on about uh, substitutionary atonement. He said, this is what happened to me. And do you know what I find really interesting? I'm so glad he didn't leave out the weird part. Aren't we tempted to leave out the weird part about who we used to be, about the spit and about the mud and about the grossness? File this thing down so that it's more palatable, thereby extracting the supernatural the wonder and the awe, the power of God. He tells them plainly, my man spit in my eyes, made some mud, and that's what happened to me. He's fuzzy on some of the things. What's your opinion about this man? I think he's a prophet. I don't know. But ultimately, he drills down on what he knows for sure. They call Jesus a sinner. The Pharisees are pressing him. He says, finally, probably with a tone of exasperation, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, but I know this, I was blind, and now I'm not blind no more. I was a mess, and I'm not so much of a mess anymore. I don't know about all that stuff. I don't know who his mom is. I don't know whether he wears boxers or breathes or whether he does, you know, CrossFit on the weekends or what he takes in his coffee. I don't know any of that. All I know is I used to be blind, but I can see now. And it's interesting how the simplicity of this doesn't make him a less credible witness. It's interesting how the simplicity and his honesty and him sticking to what he actually knows and what he actually experienced makes him more credible rather than less. And there lies the problem for us when it comes to evangelism. Some of us have just been overcoached and the work of evangelism amounts to us parroting things that we've heard, stringing words together that we've heard that we couldn't say three more sentences about if we were asked. 
And one preacher said, some of what we've learned and internalized about evangelism amounts to witness tampering. Yeah, where you, where you, you, you inappropriately get up to a witness and you, and you influence their testimony. And you alter what they would say if you just, just leave them alone. And ask them plainly, what'd you see? What'd you hear? What you experience? And some of us have been coached. Say this, don't say this. File that part off. And the end result is something that we don't even recognize when we tell our story. We don't even recognize. And no wonder we tend to shrink back. The story's not ours. Our testimonies aren't ours. They're embellished. They're overpolished. They're too much flowery language. And I want to ask you today, what if you, what if you told your actual story? And you don't leave out the weird part. And you don't leave out the spit and the mud and the dirt. You don't leave out the supernatural stuff. You don't leave out the dream you had or the way that God spoke to you. What if you told your actual story and you didn't care if people were impressed about it or not? If you don't care if folks knew who you really used to be and what you really used to be into? What if you told your story and didn't shield the fact that you're still a work in process, which, which, which makes you a more credible witness than not? What if you showed up and told your actual story? I used to be real insecure about my actual story because I grew up as a preacher's kid on the south side of Chicago in a church in the hood rough area my parents pastored the church there and we regularly have drug addicts prostitutes all kinds of people come through and the and the testimonies that we heard and the things that we saw God do were nothing short of amazing somebody would get up and say first give it out of the God who's the head of my life I was shot seven times I died twice I saw the gates, but the Lord brought me back. Church go crazy. Oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> and there's just the horror stories, one after the other. And here I am, a church boy. I've got to be home, like, before the street lights are even out. I've done really nothing. I haven't run the streets. I haven't gotten any trouble. And I'm like, what, what has God done for me? How has God rescued me? See, my testimony isn't, God didn't come and rescue me out of the gutter. And I felt some type of way about that. God didn't come and drag me out of the whorehouse or the crack house or the trap house. He didn't rescue me from dealing drugs and sticking up people and prostituting women. But what he did is he delivered my daddy from that. And so the way the grace of God reached to me is he reached to me through my daddy. He took the heroin needle out of his arm. He brought him in out of the streets. And that's my story. What's fantastic about that? 
What kind of story is that? Nobody wants to hear that. I'm not going to stand up and, and, and tell that testimony. I used to feel that way. But my daddy was always in my ear. And, and the one gift he gave me as a boy is he, oh, he worked real hard to make this Jesus thing make sense to me. My parents, by and large, were because I said so parents. But when it came to faith, my daddy made sure I understood this. Made sure I understood why I couldn't run the streets. Made sure I, I couldn't, made sure I understood why those as he would say, those fast little girls couldn't be calling his house. He made sure I understood why. He would say to me, son, my options are limited in life because of the choices that I made. He says, my life will be shorter, and it was because of the things that I ingested in my body. My life and your life is harder, my boy, because I didn't go to school. He says, I got daughters mad at me because of how I treated them and how I treated their mothers. Listen, I got, I'm a mess. God's redeemed me, but I'm a mess. I've got all of this baggage. He said that that doesn't have to be your story. And he would say to me often, son, God, my, my, my story, the miracle of mercy for me is that God rescued me from all of that craziness. He said, my prayer for you, my boy, is that God would keep you from those things. And what I've come to know, it's, that it's, it's an even greater miracle of mercy to be kept from things than it is to be rescued. It is. And I know we got some young people in the room, and maybe you think that you gotta go and act a fool, and so all of your little oats, and then come back to Jesus, and make you give them the scraps of your life. What if I told you that you can give God the best use? What if I told you that you can have a story and your testimony that will do real kingdom work is that you don't have to be drugged through the mud first. This is, this is my story. The story I used to be insecure about. The story I didn't want to tell anybody. But my story does kingdom work. You know mostly where it works? It works with parents who are challenged and encouraged to have their kids live plan A. And it works with kids who grew up in church like me, who wonder if this is real, who wonder if God can keep you. What if you told your actual story and left it to the Lord to do with it what he will? What if you told your actual story and you didn't try to manage how God would use it? What if you look at the circumstances of your life? This guy was born blind for the express reason that at this moment God could use it and he could tell his story and the word could get out? What if you saw the circumstances of your life or your life in that way? I don't know why those things happened to you. I don't know why you came up on the rough side of things. 
But either God allowed it or he caused it. Either way, it's your story and he's going to get the glory. You say, preacher, can I just bring him to you and you talk to him? No. Because <laughs> I don't have your story. There's a folk you can reach that I can't. And there's some folks that I can reach that you can't. My man said, look, I don't know about all that stuff. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. And so I hope this message this morning works in a couple of different ways. And worship team, you guys can make your way up. I hope it works to get most of us off of the bench of evangelism and trust the power of the spirit and trust the work that God has done in your life that if you would just be faithful to tell your story not the tampered version <laughs> not the watered down version and certainly not the embellished version that the spirit would grab hold of that thing and do kingdom work Others of you are here today and you're being baptized on this very day because you would say with confidence, I once was blind, but now I see. I was, once was a mess, but now I'm not so much of a mess anymore. I'm a work in progress. And the decision that you'll make today to go public with your faith is an outward expression that you're dying to yourself and being raised to new life in Jesus. You once were blind, but now you see. And there might also be a small sliver of folks here today who say, you know what, I didn't plan to be baptized today. But I feel the grace of God is reaching for me. I've had an encounter with Jesus. I'm not the same as I used to be. I want to make this thing permanent. I want to make this thing public. I want to be baptized today, but I didn't bring any clothes. Wouldn't you know it, that on the other side of this wall, is a table full of clothes, all different sizes, that if you want to be baptized today and you're serious about making a commitment to follow Jesus, that you can do that today because God is in the saving business. He's about opening blind eyes, and I'm not just talking about naturally, I'm talking about helping us see what we couldn't before and making us new in doing that within the realm of Christian community. And so where are you today? Who are you today? Do you need to tell your real story? Like starting this week? Do you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus? Turn your back on the things that are lesser? We all have a choice to make. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we once were blind, but now we see. Lord, we don't know how, why or how you've stacked all the details and circumstances of our life, but we do know that you desire to get the glory out of our life. You desire for us to be good witnesses and what you've equipped us with is our story.
how you've encountered us, how there's a noticeable change. Give us the grace and the courage to take risks and to answer these questions with what we know. We once were blind, but now we see. Come Holy Spirit. And we pray over the, those being baptized today, Lord, and we just ask that you would cement these decisions in their hearts and that you would allow this community to surround them and to support them as they continue to walk this life out for you. Come Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.